Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speed on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT on this Tuesday, January the 23rd of 2024. You're home for the NFL Championship Games on Sunday, where the Detroit Lions are going to beat the San Francisco 49ers to go to the Super Bowl, right? Restore the roar. That's right. I'm all in on the Lions. Great, great story. Allison Hayes from ABC 57, co-hosting with me, Darren Pritchett, here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Hope you're having a terrific day. Hopefully not too much of a day in which you're sliding around the roads, although this afternoon it wasn't bad. Nope. Not too shabby, but for a little bit this morning, it was a little dicey. Another snow day, racking them up. I think we're going to have some kids that are going to be having to make up some time probably in June, which is never fun. Fortunately, with e-learning, that helps a little bit on these days where you get a little work done on the computers and what have you. But yeah, it's been a crazy couple of weeks where it's been start school, stop school, back and forth. Basketball has been affected at the high school level with all these snow and icy days. So hopefully we get into a good routine coming up very, very soon. Well, we have some Notre Dame football news to get to today, some News just broke late this afternoon. Alice and I will get to that coming up in just a second. We have our hat trick of opening topics. We have our Twitter question of the day to get to coming up at the end of this hour. Also, in the 6 o'clock hour, we want to look ahead a little bit to the ACC college football season. The conferences are starting to come out with the schedules for 2024. The ACC seems like a one-team league in the 12-team playoff with the way things have been. So we'll take a, a quick look at what the ACC looks like for the first week of the college football season, the same week in which the Irish open up at Texas A&M. We also have our sports wagering segment to get to at the end of the show here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And if you're a high school basketball fan, check with your local high school, their socials, because game's getting canceled tonight. I know our game on 96-1 the ton, Mishawaka at Fairfield. That game has been postponed. No date has been announced for a makeup between those two teams. So Mishawaka, who's played one game in the last 16 or 17 days. Oh, my gosh. They will play Friday at home against Goshen as they continue to try to knock the rust off of not playing. Those kids have got to be just itching to, to get back out there and play. Especially after losing to Northridge on Friday by scoring one point in the fourth quarter. I would hope everybody's a little eager to get back on the basketball floor. Okay, let's get to a little Notre Dame football roster news to start the program. Some very familiar names popped up in the news today. As Notre Dame has a new updated roster and there are two players that are missing from the roster. The first one is on the offensive side of the football, and it's offensive lineman Andrew Kristofik. According to Blue and Gold Illustrated, he has left Notre Dame and the football program in order to start a career in financial planning. So Kristofik played in 47 games for the Irish. He started eight games, and he had one year of eligibility remaining, but Kristofik is ready to really get paid for the work that he does, according to Blue and Gold Illustrated. And when you think about the interior of the Irish offensive line at the start of last year, Kristofik was a leading candidate to be a starter at one of the guard positions. But as time went on during the 2023 season, he dropped below Billy Shrout in the guard rotation, and he fell behind Ashton Craig, too, at the center spot. Now, I know we went into this year thinking, well, going into the spring, Kristofik will be in the mix at guard and at center, but he is taking himself out of the equation. So Andrew Kristofik no longer a 
part of the Notre Dame football program. And Blue and Gold Illustrated reports he is starting a career in financial planning where he can help all these guys getting the NIL money, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting choice. To, uh, he Obviously, he they're having conversations that we aren't privy to that is probably telling him he's not going to be one of those starters. So he's making the decision to move on rather than to transfer. It's interesting, though, to leave that year of eligibility just on the table. But nowadays, you can always come back. No question. And you look at the interior of the offensive line, where it stands right now, you got Pat Coogan and Rocco Spindler returning starting guards. I know Billy Strouth is probably going to push those guys for starting time. There is that belief Strouth has the ability to be a big-time interior offensive lineman. Just didn't work out last year for him. You got Ashton Craig who you would have to project is the starting center now at this point, unless they move Coogan to center and Shrouth goes to left guard. That's another possibility. But Christophic, you lose a depth piece. Like you were saying, I don't think he was going to be a starter on this team. Could he have filled a couple of holes as backups at center and the guard positions? Absolutely. But with the way Notre Dame recruits, and you've always got the ability to move maybe a tackle inside the guard if you need to. Uh, we've seen Notre Dame in years past line up five high school tackles along their offensive line, so they always make it work and get their best five players on the field. You don't want to lose an experienced player like Christophic, but if his heart's not into it and he doesn't see an avenue on the field, I guess financial planning seemed like a pretty good thing to do at this time. So a depth piece gone, but an opportunity for somebody else to gain a little more responsibility on that fighting Irish offensive line. And on the defensive side of the football, we learned today that defensive lineman Gabe Rubio is right now not listed on the roster. It sounds like that he may not be in school at this particular time that we're not totally sure on. But he is dealing with a personal matter, and I know Blue and Gold's Mike Singer, who normally is on the program on Tuesdays, we're going to push that back to later in the week. But he's reporting that Rubio intends to return to campus in March in time for spring practice. Now, Rubio was a player that was a depth piece along the defensive line, played in nine games for the Irish in 2023, 11 tackles, five quarterback hurries. He had a forced fumble. You might remember against Navy in the opener, he suffered a knee injury that required arthroscopic surgery. And due to the knee injury, he missed a handful of games, Tennessee State, NC State, Central Michigan. Also missed a Louisville game later in the year. We never really found out why he missed that particular game. But you think about Rubio, he's a nose guard for this Fighting Irish football team and the Irish are putting together some pretty good depth along the defensive line you look at the nose guard position you've got an all-american candidate and Howard Cross starting there just for the hypothetical if Rubio is not back for the spring you still have Donovan Heinish as a player that you could move up the depth chart just a little bit but Rubio is just one of those handy dandy pieces that comes off as a number two defensive lineman and produces for this Fighting Irish football team. So right now we're down a couple of players. Unfortunately, the recognizable names, if you're going to lose somebody, you hope they're guys that the novice Notre Dame football fan doesn't know, that diehards know every single player on the roster. The fifth-string offensive tackle, they can tell you it is in, in a split second. So recognizable names off the roster right now. Yeah, that was the first thing that caught me was just, wow, both of those names, uh, those are bigger names to lose, but – they will reload. That's right. And right now, Al Golden's still the defensive coordinator. Uh, which is shocking to me still at this point. I, I keep waiting for that breaking news or for that shoe to fall. So I'm glad to see him still there. And we're just starting to see some NFL head coaching vacancies get filled. We're hearing Brian Callahan's going to get the Titans job. He was the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I hear there's a relationship between the Callahan family and Tommy Reese. Oh. So... The thought that Reese is going to Cleveland with Callahan getting the Tennessee job, I'm told by someone that there is a chance maybe that Reese might go with Callahan to Nashville. Instead? 
I mean Nashville, country right. music, Cleveland, rock and roll. I'm I'm kind of more of the country guy with a little 80s rock mixed in. So I just wouldn't trust my whole career on Cleveland. I know they had a good season this year, but <laughs> man, there's just too much negative history there. I might take Nashville if I have the chance. You know, as a Bronco fan who have caused them a lot of pain through the years, I'm just going to stay out of this conversation <laughs> and just be very, very quiet. I just love Broadway Street in Nashville with all the honky-tonks. Oh, heck yeah. Then you got the Ryman Auditorium across from the Nashville Predators Hockey Arena. I mean, what goes better together than the Church of Country Music and a hockey arena? I mean, only <laughs> in Nashville, Tennessee. All right, so... Rubio and Christophic off the roster. Sounds like Rubio will be back. Christophic is heading in another direction. Now, we found out also yesterday Notre Dame is adding a walk-on kicker, and it's Eric Goins. And this is a really interesting story. He was a kicker at the Citadel 2012 through 2015. I didn't say that wrong. That's right. 2012 through 2015. After completing his football career at the Citadel, he spent seven years in the United States Army. He was a U.S. Army Airborne Infantry Officer and Second Lieutenant, eventually became a First Lieutenant, and he served as an Executive Officer to a Combat Training Unit. So this is a young man that has been away from the game for nine years. Young? Young, well, I compared say, to how old mark. I am, <laughs> I guess. I mean, still, he's got to be pushing 30, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, the fact is, he's probably been kicking a football around during his U.S. Army duties, and now he's got the opportunity to be a walk on kicker for the Fighting Irish. And recently, we saw a football player get a ninth year of eligibility. Apparently, he had four season ending injuries. And this player has now been awarded a ninth year. And it's great for those individuals, but there's a lot of high school kids waiting for their opportunity. And there's been a lot of players held back because of these COVID years. I know it's really affected baseball. College baseball recruiting has been insane with being able to hold on to older players and the Major League Baseball draft getting cut down from 40 rounds to 10 rounds. It's really changed everything. But what about what we're seeing in football with guys getting six, seven, eight, and even nine years of opportunity? I love the Eric Gohan story. That's, I mean, as a sports reporter, the, for, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like the light bulbs are going off. It's a, a great story. We'll see that. I mean, you'll see it for sure on ABC 57 kickoff. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> but we'll probably see it on game day and every place else. What a cool story. I mean, that's just it's crazy. It, the knowledge and and experience that he's going to bring to the team I, I mean they also brought in a transfer kicker so who knows if he's actually going to see the field yeah. at all and I was looking at some of his stats they're not they're not great they're not spectacular they're not bad but his career long is 49 yards he uh in his senior year he was 16 for 21 and went 42 of 42 on extra points um, the transfer kicker, though, is Mitch Jeter. His long is 51, 11-11 field goals um, when he was within that 20 to 49-yard yep. range. So he's most likely, you're thinking, he, you're bringing him in as a transfer. He's going to be the guy. But it's interesting. It's a great storyline. We'll see how that pans out into actual playing time. But And, and I'm... <sighs> I love the idea of these older guys sticking around, and but come on, nine years of eligibility in college, and I feel for him. You know, I loved Sean Crawford at Notre Dame. I loved that he got his six years at Notre Dame because of his hardships and those and the, all that good stuff, and and good for him. And, and he was a great guy to have on the team. But at the same time, like, there's got to be a cap. So if Cam McCormick, who's the guy who's getting this ninth year of eligibility to be a tight end at Miami, what if he gets hurt again this year? <laughs> do we give him a tenth year? I mean, at what point do you say, okay, you had your shot, you had your chance, it's time to move on, and you, you graduated, and you, well, I mean, at nine years of college, is he going to be a, a doctor when he leaves? Is he, are, is he taking real classes? Is he just sitting in on, you know, a non-degree seeking master's program or whatever they call it now? I mean, that's, it's insane to me, and I just, I, I think it's cool, but there's got to be a cap, and I don't know what that cap is. Maybe it's six, maybe it's only five, 
but once we get through that COVID year, I think a five years of eligibility, maybe six at maximum for extreme hardships, but nine, then there's just no cutoff. I'm trying to remember, didn't Sean Crawford leave another year of eligibility on the table? Did he? I thought he did, and maybe I'm confusing him with a different Notre Dame football player, but I thought there was a chance he could have come back for another year. But I'll double-check that. I'll see if I can find it during the commercial break. But you're right. Mitch Jeter is going to be the place kicker for the Fighting Irish. Last two years at South Carolina, 23 of 25, 75 of 78 on extra point tries. Very reliable inside of 50. I don't know Jeter's total ability on kickoffs. Maybe Goins could be possibly the kickoff guy I got for the some Fighting kickoff Irish. stats for you. Okay. He was uh, average 61.1 yards and had 32 touchbacks on 74 kickoffs. This is Goins. Okay. From That was back in 2015. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll have to see how he fits in. It is a cool story, and it's the type of story that you'll see on ABC 57 <laughs> kickoff. There's guaranteed no question about that. So Eric Goins, who has not kicked in a college football game since 2015, now a Notre Dame walk-on kicker. So opportunity to put him on the roster, and who knows, maybe he'll find his way onto the football field. All right, let's get to some topics here to kick off the program after going through some news and notes. And let's start with this first of three hat trick of opening topics. I mentioned Tommy Reese a moment ago, so why not bring up the old Irish gunslinger back into the conversation? There are reports that the former Irish quarterback, former Irish offensive coordinator, and now former Alabama offensive coordinator, could be headed to the National Football League. It appears he might be the new tight end coach with the Cleveland Browns. Again, I'll throw it out there. Just watch Tennessee just to see if Callahan might bring him to Nashville. But my question is this. Tommy has always been, I don't know if this is the right phrase, kind of a controversial figure in the Irish football landscape. The fan base, there's just not been... An enormous amount of love for a guy Ever. who's been a part of the program for a good amount of time as a player, dealing with Brian Kelly screaming at him with the purple face, and then as an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach with the Fighting Irish. So how do you think Irish fans should remember Tommy Reese? Fondly. Okay. Controversially, sure. I, I think you have to appreciate him, though, overall, what he brought as a quarterback, as an assistant, and as an offensive coordinator, whether you loved him or hated him. I don't think anyone ever really gave him enough credit or respect for it, for what he did do. And I was looking at like some of the things that he did, and his record as a player was 37 and 15 and as an assistant coach was 63 and 14. So he had a hundred career wins as both a player and as an assistant. And I feel like everyone was always just really hard on him. He was good, but never really great maybe in, in all respects of what he did at Notre Dame. But I, I'll, I will remember him fondly. I, I, I appreciate what he was able to do, especially when you look back at the season where Drew Pine had to take over. And that guy is not a Power 5 quarterback. He just isn't. Now he's not going to play football anymore. He's transferring back and going to be just a student at Notre Dame. And that's no knock on Drew. But that's, he finished that year when he came in. He finished with 2,021 yards, 22 touchdowns. He did have six interceptions. That was in 11 games. He went 8-2 and two as a starter for Notre Dame. And then you look at Tyler Buckner. And, you know, he was injured. He was not great. But then when he finally got to be the starter in that Gator Bowl game, he was the MVP of that game. And, again, we're seeing that he is not a Power 5 quarterback. So I think Tommy did a lot with what he had. Um, but to his detriment, maybe, is that he also was the one who recruited those quarterbacks to come to Notre Dame. I think that would be the biggest downfall, and that he would even consider taking Tyler to Alabama with him. But I really like Tommy. I, I, different guys I've talked to, a guy like Brady Quinn, he, he's big on Tommy. He thinks he's a, a really good coach, and he thinks he's got a really bright future. And, I mean, he was even uh, – 
reportedly in consideration for the head coaching job at Alabama to take over for Nick Saban. That was a little crazy, a little far-fetched to me. I think that's not a program that you can be a first-time head coach at. Mm. But I think it said a lot about what they at least thought about him and what he's capable of. And um, I I think he's got – I don't know about him as a tight ends coach, but I think it's a foot in the door in the NFL. And I just think he's one of those guys that I think we're going to see a lot more of him as he continues to grow. And I was kind of looking through doing a deep dive on his like social media because I've always enjoyed him on social media. I love the dryness of his personality. I absolutely will forever love the cutaway of him in the booth and he is yelling, do your blanking job. When he's yelling that to Drew Pine, and and I thought that was just, I loved it. And I loved uh, when he decided to stay at Notre Dame, and he had, he he shared that, he was great with gifts on on social media, and he shared that one uh, from the Wolf of Wall Street, and it's, you know, it has an expletive, we won't won't say it, but I just loved that. I loved his personality, I loved the dryness, and I would have liked him to have been more successful at Notre Dame. I would like to see him maybe even have been a guy that was in consideration to take over um, at Notre Dame at some point as a head coach. And maybe he will once he's gone those different ways and maybe he has success in the NFL or whatever. But anyway, that all okay. that to be said, I just think he has done a lot in his decade or so that he spent in South Bend. So how will I remember Tommy Reese? I'll start with this. The Irish probably don't make the national championship game in 2012 without Tommy Reese coming into the game against Purdue, the team fresh back from the trip to Ireland. They were struggling with a Purdue team at Notre Dame Stadium, and Everett Golson wasn't comfortable running the two-minute drill. Brian Kelly put Tommy Reese in the game, and there was a groan in the stadium. I remember it to this day, and he let him down the field, and eventually the Irish kicked a game-winning field goal. You lose that game, you don't go to Miami. So Tommy was able to help the football team in that particular spot to get him through a tough moment. I give Tommy credit. He took advantage of being an early enrollee. He got a jump start on a couple of guys. He wasn't supposed to play at Notre Dame. He was supposed to be a roster filler, almost kind of a a favor to his dad, Bill Reese, with this Notre Dame program. And he turned himself into a very competitive, I would call him a little above average Division I quarterback. Now, would I want him as my guy, as the number one quarterback in a recruiting cycle? Nobody. He was okay as a quarterback. As a coach, I think he had a lot to learn and learn on the fly at Notre Dame. I wasn't as hard on him as an offensive play caller, although I just don't think he had learned yet how to adjust during a game. That yes. was a major problem for Tommy. If it didn't work in the first half, he would try it again in the second half. And that's just growing. And a lot of guys grow at Western Kentucky, or they do it at Utah State. He was doing it at Notre Dame, which is a whole different animal. Exactly. As a And like you said, with Drew Pine, he got the most out of Drew Pine. I really believe that. Drew Pine's not a Division I starting quarterback, but he got the most out of Drew Pine. The problem is, Tommy Reese caused Drew Pine to be the guy when you saw an injury to the starter that's because Tommy Reese as a quarterback recruiter was lousy yes that was a major downfall he did it to himself now do you watch J.J. McCarthy go to Michigan when he didn't give him the time of day and he took Tyler Buckner right didn't turn out to be a great decision and you had to play Pine who he picked because Buckner got hurt so his quarterback recruiting wasn't very good until Marcus Freeman came around and Marcus And Tommy together got C.J. Carr. They got Sam Hartman to come to Notre Dame. So things changed when, I guess, kind of the president of the team went from Brian Kelly to Marcus Freeman. He must have gotten more involved there. Yes, I think that, like I said, I do. I think that was sort of his downfall. I I get, and just to go back to like his personality, I was looking at this. The very last tweet that he had for when he was still a coach at Notre Dame was after that Gator Bowl, and it's like this long thing, and he's thanking everybody, and he even thanks the Twitter, the people on Twitter. Oh yes, and then he says. Run the, I don't know if I can say this word, so I'll say darn. So run the darn ball. You can say the damn word. It's okay, okay, I can say damn. So he's like, run the damn ball forever. Got it, guys. <laughs> it's like, okay, he gets it. 
Oh, boy. Tommy always just was the center of attention for whatever reason. For whatever reason. And his shots in the booth were classic. Uh, we didn't see as many at Alabama. We didn't see as many. We saw a few, but just not as many as some of the classics, including at Syracuse when he really <laughs> laid into Drew Pine. All right, we'll see where Tommy ends up, but it's not a surprise. He's wanted to go to the NFL. This is probably just his first step in trying to become an offensive coordinator in the National Football League. He did have an interview with Arizona about their head coaching vacancy, but I just, I can't see him talking to donors. No. I just, you got to have a special personality to do that. Marcus Freeman has it. Brian Kelly has it. He's a great politician. They had it. Tommy would have to learn how to do that. And I just, I I don't feel like you can be taught that. Yeah, and that you were clearly out of his comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you have an interview with him, you, you get to a feel of what that personality is like right away. Okay, how about this? Hat trick of opening topic number two. Which would be the best, quote-unquote, storyline Super Bowl matchup? Would it be Lions-Ravens, Lions-Chiefs, 49ers-Ravens, 49ers Chiefs. Lions and I don't care who else. Who, who cares? All right. <laughs> no, seriously though, and I kind of joked with you before that. The Lions, I've definitely jumped onto that bandwagon. I'm a Bears fan, I admit it, and I've never been much of a Lions fan, but I love Dan Campbell. I love what he's doing there. I love that he's completely changed the culture. I love how their management and their front office has used the draft to their advantage and really made some great draft picks over the course of the last three years to put themselves into this position. I think the Bears could really take a, a, a lesson from them on, on that, especially when you're looking at what the Bears have in front of them. Yeah. Oh, man, I as a Bears fan, not to get off topic, but, man, I'm so nervous about what they're going to do with that number one pick and to have two first-round draft picks. I just feel like they're going to blow it no matter what they do. It's going to be the wrong thing, but... Anyways, I, I'm all about the Lions. I, I, I love that Jared Goff was a number one pick and viewed as a bust. And he's not necessarily a, a fantastic, perfect quarterback, but he is just a, another good piece of this overall puzzle as this team has come together at the right time. Um, San Francisco and the Chiefs, you know, I, I, I don't – that's a toss-up to me. I just – I have no love whatsoever for San Francisco. Nothing that I'm against them. They've had these, you know, really good teams and but just couldn't really get the right quarterback there. So I, I do like that Brock Purdy has kind of, you know, made himself um, as good as he has a, a few years ago. You know, he was never really supposed to be more than just a backup. So I like that he's, you know, kind of come into his own and he's the point guard of this, you know, talented roster. And, of course, you, you got one of the best running backs there is out there So uh, with Christian McCaffrey. But And then the Chiefs, I mean – I could use some more Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey in my life. I don't mind that storyline at all. And I do have a lot of respect for what Patrick Mahomes has done. So I, I don't know. I, 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 if I have to pick one, I guess I'd pick the Chiefs. But I don't know what's the best matchup for the Lions. I want whoever the Lions have the best chance of beating. Lions-Chiefs would be Taylor Swift against Eminem. <laughs> oh, that's a... That brings you right back to like 2000 and what, 2004? He could have some yeah. pretty nasty uh, song lyrics, I think, about that. I'm, you could bring Motown into play with, with the Lions, but the best storyline matchup for me outside of the entertainment world, I think it's Lions-Ravens. These are two quarterbacks that I'm not sure anybody wanted. You think about Jared Goff, the Rams decided they couldn't win with him. They traded him for Matthew Stafford, and the Lions have really, I think, evolved Jared Goff's game. He is a much better quarterback than the one we saw struggle in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. And the Baltimore Ravens didn't want to give Lamar Jackson that big quarterback deal. Supposedly, he was up for grabs. No one went and got him. That's Ravens crazy signed him, to me. And Lamar Jackson could be ready to lead the Ravens to the Super Bowl. You so, know, he is making $52 million a year. That is outrageous to me but look at here he is leading them well i'll say this as a bronco fan we paid russell wilson 49 million for Ooh. three yard passes all year so i'll <laughs> go ahead and pay the extra three million for lamar jackson 
in a second. So, yeah, I think Ravens-Lions would be a great matchup. Plus, from the Notre Dame standpoint, you got five former Irish players affiliated with the Lions. You got Scott Daly, Chris Smith, the Aquaras, and Brock Wright. For the Ravens, you got Mustafer, Stanley, and also Kyle Hamilton. Hamilton. So you've got eight former Notre Dame players that would all be in the Super Bowl, and I think that would be a good storyline for here in South Bend. So, yeah, Lions-Ravens would be my number one choice, and probably Lions-Chiefs I'll put second because you want the best chance to win. I think the Lions have a better chance to beat the Chiefs. They've already done that this year in Kansas City. I think the Ravens, their defense would be a tough matchup. Absolutely. All right, finally, our final hat trick of opening topic. The NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament currently has a field of 68. In the future, what should the NCAA do with the size of the field? I'm surprised that it's even something that people are discussing. Why are they messing with it? It's It feels like the one sort of pure thing that's left in college sports right now. It's like, don't mess with it. I, I think the field of 68 with the automatic bids is giving fans just the best overall package of what you can get. It creates the Cinderella teams, which is literally what makes the NCAA tournament so good. And in recent years, we're seeing some of these lower seed teams upsetting these top seeds. And so that makes it even more exciting. It it has a fantastic viewership. And I I was looking around and CBS Sports did a survey of 100 coaches. They let them be anonymous so they could get real answers. This wasn't about the overall size of the tournament, but it was about whether or not to keep the automatic bids in. 97 of 100 coaches said, absolutely keep the automatic bids in. And they, while they didn't have the, an actual vote on like if they should expand it or, or make it smaller, just in the conversations that they had with these same 100 coaches, overwhelmingly everyone said, keep it where it is, don't make it bigger. It will water down the regular season. And just, I, I don't know, I'm your face, I, I can't read you yet. I can't tell what you're thinking, but I just don't know why you would change it. I'm a 68 guy. Yes. Leave it at 68 because I'm a geek. As we wind down to Selection Sunday, I'm going through all the bubble teams and I'm looking at all the analytics trying to see who should be in, who should be out. I mean, there was a time Notre Dame was kind of hanging around the bubble every year, so I was doing a lot of research. And you know what I found? The teams we talk about around the bubble trying to get in are bad teams. Yes. There's a lot of teams around the bubble that just aren't very good. And they're there just because there's a lot of teams worse than them. <laughs> so if we had if we had 80 really, really good teams, then okay, maybe I would think about expanding it because I think people love the tournament and more March Madness games. I'd be okay with that rather than watching another one of those reality shows like The Bachelor. I think I would take March <laughs> Madness over The Bachelor any day. I just see too many bad teams around the bubble, so do not expand it. I don't think reducing the field does you any good. I think 68 is absolutely perfect, and I love the first four because it does give, for example, two 16-seed squaring off a chance to enjoy winning an NCAA tournament game. Now, we've had two 16-seeds win in the first round. I won't mention what happened last year for our area fans, but it's happened twice, 16 over one. But in the first four, we guaranteed usually get to see two 16 seeds win a game. And for those schools, that's pretty doggone cool and probably program changing. Yeah, absolutely. I I love it. I just love it. I love to see those underdog teams get in there and get a chance. And it it just shows you. And and that's kind of what I'm excited about with the college football playoff that's coming. You know, I, I just think. You don't you, you you need those blue bloods, you need those big name guys to show up in every year, but when you get a, an underdog to knock one of those big name teams off, that's what makes it so special. And it gives everybody hope, right? And it, and then there's all these like storylines and and you it can, goes beyond just what you're seeing on the field or on the court when you're able to let the underdog have a chance and you watch them succeed. Looks like there may be just one underdog in the football playoff. It's going to be that group of five teams. Sure. Like Liberty or James Madison, for example. Liberty got their chance to play Oregon. It did not go well in the Fiesta Bowl, but we have seen group of five teams upset 
Power Five conference teams. I got to change my verbiage because really we're talking about Power Four now. Right. Because <laughs> the Pac-12 is pretty Gone. much going to be history here in about two months or so. So, yeah, beating the Power Four, it's been tough for the group of five, but we have seen it accomplished. Boise State knocked off Oklahoma way back when in the Fiesta Bowl. We'll take a timeout, 542, and you're home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Kevin Putz here with first. Dame football coverage continues now. Intercepted at the 25, 20, near sideline, 10, 5, near the goal line is Xavier Watts. Let's go! On Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Intercepted, Benjamin Morrison, midfield, leaped high for it, fell over backwards, but he did secure the ball. Ball's out. Bubbled, picked up by Xavier Watts on the 10, runs it in for the score. From Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Intercepted. Picked off a one-handed effort by Christian Gray. Intercepted. This will be a pick six. Jade Mickey, near sideline, 20, 10. Touchdown, Fighting Irish. Along with ABC 57's Allison Hayes. My name is Darren Pritchett. Sportsbeat continues on this Tuesday evening. It is 547. Quick thought on the college football playoffs in 2024, of course, as football fans know, we're going from four teams to 12 teams later on this year, and I think we're all excited to see how this is going to play out. We saw so many blowouts early on in the college football playoffs semifinals. Last couple of years, they actually got really good. What is the first round going to be like with the team seeded better getting a home game in the first round? And as we know, Notre Dame is not in the conference, so they can never, ever, ever, ever (laughs) be one of the top four seeds, even if they're the number one ranked team, according to the playoff committee, because they're not a conference champion, they would drop to number five and would have to play an extra week, maybe in the teens and the snow at Notre Dame Stadium. But that's, I guess, part of being an independent. So my question is this. Now that we have a 12-team playoff, Notre Dame football should be Blank. A regular in the playoffs, always in the running, make the playoffs more times than not. How do you look at what Notre Dame football should be in a 12-team playoff world? They absolutely have to be a regular in the playoff. If they're not, the program is going in the wrong direction. If you're not in the top 12, at least the majority of the time of someone's career. So if Marcus Freeman has five more years, say, and he doesn't take them to the playoffs in the top 12 – for the majority of that time? I mean, he even needs to be in there probably four of five, don't you think? I was thinking you need to be in the playoff at least two out of three years because 12 teams, that's a big amount. Now four get in as conference champions, and you have your group of five, so that takes away five of the 12 spots. So you're battling for seven spots. But Notre Dame has been a pretty consistent team in the top 15, so you should always be on the running. I just I feel like with the way they're recruiting, the way they're developing players, and right now with the coaching staff they have in place with the coordinators, you should be able to make the playoffs. There's no doubt in my mind. In fact, the schedule next year does not look overpowering, except for maybe three games, and all three are very winnable. So, yeah, I think with the way they're recruiting right now, the development – you got to make it two out of three years, and I almost feel like some Irish fans are saying, you know what, we should make it every year with the way that things are going right now with Marcus Freeman. Now, things have to get better in a couple of areas, and I think Mike Denbrock trumps the Jared Parker issue. Yes. I think game management needs to get a little better, but this thing is ready to rock it, and it's at a perfect time with the playoffs going to 12 teams. It is absolutely the perfect time, and I would I would be on the side of some of those fans, I think. I think to be relevant and and to be able to continue recruiting at the level that he's recruiting right now you absolutely have to be getting into that playoff you, you got to finish in the top 12 you you have to come on it's Notre Dame it's Notre Dame right you're not an, an upper echelon team if you're not finishing in the top 12 every year so I, I cannot wait until we get closer we can really start getting into all of it I had a lot of thoughts on this before and I was like oh they have to join the conference it's it's crazy for them to never be they could go undefeated and never be able to to be anything higher than five but now my I'm thinking about it and it's like well they, they essentially have that by by not having to play in that conference championship. 
So they're automatically getting one weekend off and they're not having to play what would be the number one or number two team in a conference, which in theory is probably Clemson or Florida State. So you already are taking that is a gift in itself if they if they're undefeated and able and they're making their way into that top twelve. So they're getting a buy. It's just kind of shifted as to when they're getting it in in a way if you think about it. I'll play devil's advocate. Okay. Just for a second. If you're in a conference and they're not they would not go to the SEC. Let's forget about that. Right. The ACC may implode. So I'm going to put them in the Big Ten, which makes the most sense from an academic-like standpoint. If you're in the Big Ten, you're playing in a dome in the conference championship game for a right to be one of the top four seeds, so you don't have to play in the snow and maybe the ice or 10-degree weather at Notre Dame Stadium in the first round of the college football playoffs. So I guess which would you rather have a chance to play in a dome in a conference championship with the opportunity to be a top four seed or not play in the conference championship and be a five seed, even if you are the number one seed and have to deal with possibly elements at Notre Dame Stadium, which could be an advantage if Florida or Mississippi State or Texas or Arizona, if they have to come to Notre Dame Stadium. Now, that would be an advantage, so that's also part of the conversation. So that's how I look at the situation. It's so intriguing, though, isn't it? I mean, I'm just I'm really looking forward to this season and just seeing how this first one all plays out. And then there will be all of the arguing. And if let's say Notre Dame is ranked number 13, right? <laughs> it's like it's going to be the, that bubble team, except for it's at 13, 14, 15, somewhere. Who's getting in that final number 12 spot? There will be all the arguments that we heard for Georgia not right. getting into the top four. It'll be interesting, too, if, say, if Notre Dame is – 12 and 0 and then you've got you know an undefeated Georgia or whomever and how that plays out too with the seeding I I love it I, or or a Georgia that has a one loss because they lost in their conference championship game to an Alabama or somebody else that obvious if it's an SEC team it's going to be probably the two best teams in college football in theory so you know how does that change things up the foundation of the ACC conference is so important going forward if that foundation breaks if that conference starts to disintegrate and I don't think it'll just go away like the Pac-12 there's still too many teams in the ACC that can kind of piece it together although if you lose teams like Clemson Florida State Virginia North Carolina that conference looks sure a whole lot different and does Notre Dame want to be associated with a broken ACC so where are those teams going then so let because I know Florida State is very upset and they are they want out where do they go then that's a great question because no one can figure that out they are so ready to get out of the ACC but who wants them it doesn't sound like the SEC is knocking on their door it doesn't sound like the Big Ten is interested in Clemson or Florida State they don't feel like Clemson from what I'm told is an academic fit like Virginia or North Carolina, huh. of course, Notre Dame's the obvious. I mean, they're going to leave the 20th chair for Notre Dame until <laughs> the earth crumbles, I think. They're always going to leave that door open for Notre Dame in case things change and they have to join the Big Ten. The Big but Ten is saying that Clemson is not is enough I of an academic that. school? Yes. Oh, it get, doesn't fit the criteria. It, but, well, Florida State clearly is not either. But you're telling me that all of these other schools in the Big Ten – are these academic powerhouses? Yes, Michigan, and yes to what USC and who Northwestern, Northwestern. Illinois. That, that's fair. Illinois is there? Yes. They're that oh, yeah. tough to mm-hmm. get into. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I I grew up in that state. I had no chance. Really? <laughs> oh, I had no chance, none whatsoever. Well, right. I could have been a member of the Orange Crush, but I just didn't have the grades. So no shot, <laughs> no shot. No, there's a lot of great institutions. You blew it. Well, yeah, I probably I probably needed to do a little better in math and science. That <laughs> held me back. Hence, communications, no math, no science. Sign me up. I'm going to be a communications major. I feel you on that. Okay, 5.55 is our time, and we'll kind of end the conversation there. There's so much more to talk about the playoff going forward and the ramifications and how Notre Dame fits in. We'll continue that conversation. And I guess you don't have any ABC 57 basketball shows coming up, so let me ask you, how did things go with your basketball shows? 
They've been going really great. We've been given um, some good access to have some sit-down one-on-one time with Neil Ivey and with uh, Micah Shrewsbury and with some of the players. And so we've it's been a good season for us to kind of rekindle our relationship with basketball. And, you know, I've talked a lot about it on, on our this show together with you is that um, I just think that Notre Dame for the on the men's side – it's a rough season, but we're seeing these guys now, and they are going to be putting oh, themselves yeah. in position to be so much better in the years to come. So I kind of like to continue to keep joking, but like this is that year where we're going to say, you know, a few years from now, looking back on it, who I remember when. They've got some really good recruits coming in next year, and you have to recruit over some of these guys, not yes. to be mean, but to get to where they need to get to. Oh, They're going to no have doubt. to upgrade the roster to bring in more high-powered offensive players because there just isn't enough offense on this year's team. As Hey, Micah did the best he could putting together this roster when he was left with basically nothing. Matt Zona and a couple other small pieces. So this was just one of those years, but he is recruiting extremely well, and he's building a foundation, an attitude, a defensive prowess. So I'm excited where this thing is going. And In fact, I had this. As part of a new segment I'm doing on Wednesday, who do I trust more? The first question was, who do I trust more to build and maintain a college basketball program? Micah Shrewsbury or Mike Woodson? And I went with Micah, and I got some responses from some coaches saying, absolutely, you go with Micah Shrewsbury. And with the way Indiana's going right now, yeah. and their flagrant fouls and I everything agree. else, that is a mess at the current time. Well, And that says a lot. We haven't heard Notre Dame even in a recruiting conversation in years that was just not really uh, Mike Bray's forte I guess and so yeah it's it's refreshing and it's nice to see that Mike is out there competing and, and bringing in the right pieces he's not afraid of anybody I like that I like that all right he turned around Penn State quickly got him to the sure NCAA did. tournament so I'm excited to have Micah in town well you're off next week you're gonna get rid of suntan so enjoy your time away and we'll talk to you in two weeks all right thank you that's allison hayes from abc 57 my name is darren pritchett sports beat continues including a sports update coming up in just a moment on sports radio 960 wsbt you don't know how to play first base it's not that hard scott tell him watch it's incredibly hard Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Every time you play one off your hips, you owe me 40 sit-ups. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey, you guys. Don't throw me anything. My girlfriend put a curse on my glove. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. You lolly get the ball around the end. You know what that makes you. Hurry. Twenty minutes after six o'clock, Sportsbeat continues on WSBT Radio. We're brought to you by Budweiser, the King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this buds for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. By Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash SolidGround for details. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. By Midland Engineering Company. Beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. And the Mishawaka Education Foundation. Granting a better future. I'm Darren Pritchett. Cooperstown, one of the more historic places in the United States when it comes to remembering one of our great sports, of course, home to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And the Baseball Writers of Association of America have announced that three new members are headed to Cooperstown for enshrinement on July 21st in Cooperstown, New York. These three will join a great manager, Jim Leland, in this class of 2024. So the three newest members of the Baseball Hall of Fame, all position players. They are Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton. Beltre was a lock, played with many organizations, including the Dodgers, the Mariners, and had a great run 
with the Texas Rangers, helping them to win the 2011 America League pennant. Beltre, a third baseman with over 3,000 hits, over 400 home runs, and won five Gold Glove Awards. To me, he was an unheralded superstar. He did not have that superstar status, but his play and stat line were always tremendous. And Beltre was a guy that you might recall never wanted his head touched. Elvis Andrews, his teammate in Texas, would oftentimes do everything he can to take his helmet off after a home run and rub his head. I mean, he absolutely despised anyone touching his head. It became kind of a funny bit. But Beltre, truly one of the great third basemen in baseball history. The stats show it. And again, five gold gloves to go along with 3,000 hits and 400 home runs. So Adrian Beltre is headed to Cooperstown. Joe Maurer, 15 years with his hometown team, the team that took him number one overall in the draft, the Minnesota Twins. Maurer, a great catcher, three gold glove awards as a backstop. He won three batting titles. No catcher had won a batting title in over 60 years until Maurer accomplished that feat. And one little side note, I think Joe Maurer becomes the first ever Baseball Hall of Famer to sit with the game day sports beat crew at Notre Dame Stadium watching a Notre Dame football game. Before he was taken number one overall by the Minnesota Twins, Maurer was considered one of the best quarterbacks coming out of high school. And if it wasn't for his great ability to hit a baseball, he probably would have went to Florida to play for the Gators and became a pretty doggone good quarterback in Gainesville, but instead had great ability playing the game of baseball, became the number one overall pick, and before he became the number one overall pick, he was actually in our booth and watched, I think, at least three quarters of a Notre Dame-Florida State game in which Florida State shut out the Irish. It was something like 37 to nothing, but my old friend Bob Kamel had, I can't remember the tie-in now, but knew somebody that knew Joe Maurer, and Joe was coming to town, and he got Joe to come up with us. So at that time, we had our own booth at Notre Dame Stadium overlooking the field, and we watched the game there and broadcasted our pre- and post-game shows from there. And Maurer sat with us, and I remember turning to him and saying at one point, as he was watching Notre Dame struggle at the quarterback position, isn't there a part of you that just wants to give this a shot? I mean, I think you know you can probably do this. And he just had a big smile on his face, just kind of shrugged his shoulders like, yeah, I know I could do this. I could do this better than what we're seeing right now. But he had a baseball future in front of him, and the rest is history. Joe Maurer, I guess a game day sports beat alumnus, now a baseball Hall of Famer. That's before we had phones with cameras. I mean, we would have been taking pictures with him, but at that time, you just didn't carry around cameras with you. All right, so Joe Maurer headed to Cooperstown, and the third other inductee is Todd Helton, who played for the Colorado Rockies. And Helton was up for debate because he played half of his games a mile high at Coors Field where the ball carried further. But the fact is, his OPS on the road was elite, over 850. It was better than Al Kaline, his OPS for his career. The great Tiger, Helton's OPS on the road was ever bit as good as Al Kaline's. And Jim Rice, for example. And yes, Helton put up some big numbers at Coors Field, but he backed it up on the road. A 316 career hitter, 2,000 hits, 369 home runs. He ended up with a 953 OPS overall. OPS is on-base percentage plus slugging. Anything over 800 is considered really good. 900 is all-star, MVP, Hall of Fame level, and that's what Helton brought to the table. Four silver sluggers, a batting title in 2000 when he hit over 370, and three gold glove awards. I did not know this until today. This shocked me, but the most gold gloves ever won by a first baseman in the Hall of Fame is one. So Todd Helton becomes the only first baseman in the Baseball Hall of Fame 
with three Gold Glove awards. Now, the Gold Glove was not always given out, so you go back to the 30s and the 40s, you're not going to see any Gold Glove award winners. It just did not exist at the time, but still, pretty good honor for a guy that used to be the roommate of Peyton Manning down in Knoxville at the University of Tennessee. So the final voting, Beltray, got 95.1% of the vote. You need 75% to gain induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Todd Helton came in second at 79.7%. Joe Maurer, third, just got across the finish line at 76.1%. Just missing out was Billy Wagner, the great closer of many, many teams, most notably the Houston Astros once again falls short. He ended up with 73.8% of the vote. Another guy just missing out, Gary Sheffield at 63.9, Andrew Jones at 61.6, Carlos Beltran at 57.1, a guy linked to steroids, Alex Rodriguez got 34.8%, Another guy linked to steroids and PEDs, Manny Ramirez, 32.5%. So we fell just short of tying a record. The most players in one voting process to get at least 60% of the vote. On one occasion, we had seven guys go over 60%. We had six this time. Carlos Beltran would have been the seventh, but he ended up at 57%. I think Wagner's a Hall of Famer. You look at the numbers, the strikeouts, the saves, the consistency. He's a baseball Hall of Famer, and he continues to get a few more votes every time, and he fell just short of 75% at 73.8. Gary Sheffield's an interesting, interesting debate. That guy had such a powerful swing. The ball exploded off his bat, just not getting the vote. As of right now. So our class of 2024, Jim Leland was already in, and he'll be joined by Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Maurer. 629 is our time. I'm Darren Pritchett. We'll get back to a little college football. When Notre Dame is taking on Texas A&M, what does the ACC schedule in week one look like? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. As Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960. WSBT. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. 634 at WSBT. Sportsbeat continues on this Tuesday evening. This is going to be a short segment to get caught back up. A couple of more breaks to get to before we get to the top of the hour. And the Wake Up the Echoes Notre Dame Athletics Show here on WSBT Radio. Looking ahead to the start of the college football season, week one. Notre Dame will be at Texas A&M, that game on August the 31st. We now know the first weekend of the ACC college football schedule, a conference that was spurned by the college football playoff committee. Just a few weeks ago, Florida State undefeated ACC champion, not placed in the Final Four. Now, of course, an ACC champion automatically gets into the 12-team playoff. The opening Weekend or week one of the college football season. There are three games on Thursday. North Carolina without Drake May. That'll be a different looking Tar Heel football team. They travel to a Big Ten foe in Minnesota. And you've got NC State and Wake Forest opening up with some easier opponents. The Wolfpack against Western Carolina. Wake Forest against North Carolina A&T. How about this? A conference game in week one in the ACC. Friday, August 30th. Stanford versus TCU. Yeah, welcome to a new world of college football, an ACC matchup, Stanford and TCU. Get out of here. Duke also taking on Elon. Duke's first game without Riley Leonard 
as their starting quarterback and then a host of games on Saturday, August 31st. That's the day Notre Dame plays. California's in the ACC. They're taking on UC Davis. Clemson and Georgia playing in Atlanta in a highly anticipated matchup. Georgia Tech will take on Georgia State. Louisville gets Austin P. It's Miami going to Florida. Matchup in Gainesville in week one that's very interesting. Virginia Tech heads to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt. You've got Syracuse taking on Ohio, Pittsburgh, and Kent State, and Virginia and Richmond. And also on Monday, September the 2nd, a conference matchup, Boston College taking on a new-look Florida State team with DJU now as their starting quarterback. So that's a look at week one when Notre Dame is taking on Texas A&M. We also have Clemson and Georgia that particular day, and also in the ACC That conference matchup, Stanford and TCU, it's going to take a while to get used to the new look ACC. 637 at WSBT. 641 at WSBT. Great to have you with us on this Tuesday night. Again, wake up the echoes coming up at the top of the hour. Mishawaka Cave and basketball fans, no basketball tonight on our sister station, 96-1 the ton. The Cavemen's matchup on the road against Fairfield has been postponed due to the weather, and no makeup date has been set up as of yet. We do know the Cavemen back home for a conference game against Goshen Friday night. Pre-game probably right around 7-15 on our sister station, 96-1 the ton. All right, some Notre Dame football news today. Let's recap what we have found. First off, a couple of players are missing from the Notre Dame football roster that has been updated for the 2024 campaign. They are familiar names. They're depth pieces, but familiar names. First off, you have grad student offensive lineman Andrew Kristofik. He is no longer listed on the roster. We have learned that He has decided to leave Notre Dame and the football program to start his next career, which appears to be in financial planning. Kristofik had one year of eligibility remaining. He played in 47 games for the Fighting Irish, starting eight times. He started late in the year in Brian Kelly's final season as head coach. He started, I want to say, the last six regular season games, and then the Oklahoma State Bowl game. He was in the mix to be a starting offensive lineman for the Fighting Irish leading into the 2023 season. We felt like he was a leading candidate, if not sort of a leader going into the spring and fall practice portion of the football season, but it did not work out for Kristofik as He got lapped by a couple of players at different positions. There was an anticipation that he might be the starting right guard, but Rocco Spindler won that job. Pat Coogan outdueled Billy Shrout for the starting left guard position. So Kristofik was blocked by Rocco Spindler. You had Kristofik as someone that can play the center position. And with the injuries, Kristofik got a little time. At center, I think, yeah, he was on the field for the Clemson game. He got hurt, and Ashton Craig got his opportunity and never gave the job back. So it would seem like, sitting outside of the Goog, that there would have been limited opportunities for Kristofik to break through into the starting lineup this year. Could he have been a backup piece? Absolutely, at the guards or the center position. But he has decided to go a different direction. So you've got... A situation where we have to see what Coach Rudolph and Coach Denbrock does along the offensive line. You've got a couple of ways you can go, it appears, with Pat Coogan. Could be your guard. He could be your center. You could put Coogan at left guard, Craig at center, Spindler at right guard. So there are some different combinations, and we can't forget about Billy Shrouth as well, who got beat out by Coogan for the left guard position. You could see Shrout at left guard, Coogan at center, Spindler at right guard. So there's a couple of different ways to go. It's nice to have options. So Kristofik is out of the mix, and we'll talk more about what this means for the offensive line tomorrow when the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, Eric Hansen, co-hosts the 5 o'clock hour with me tomorrow here on WSBT Radio. So Kristofik is off the roster, and at least for now, 
you've got defensive lineman Gabe Rubio not listed. According to a Notre Dame football spokesperson, that Rubio, his absence is because he is tending to a personal matter. Now, Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated, who normally is on this show on Tuesdays, he's going to be on later in the week this week, he's reporting that Rubio intends to return to campus in March in time for spring practice. Now, you take a look at Rubio. He is a part of the rotation along the Irish defensive line. He played in nine games this year. You might recall he was injured in week zero against Navy over in Dublin, which required arthroscopic surgery, missed the next three games, came back, missed the Louisville game, but played nine games for the Fighting Irish this year and was a really good backup for this football team. 136 defensive snaps. And Rubio is a player that is in the mix once again to be a depth piece along the defensive line. You've got Howard Cross, an All-American candidate at nose guard, coming back, which was a big, big boost for the Fighting Irish in 2024. Rubio might be the backup to Cross. You've got a developing player in Donovan Heinish at 6'2", 280, entering his junior academic year, sophomore football year for the Fighting Irish, and Devin Houston is another guy that could be in the mix at the nose but for now Rubio is not on the roster and it sounds like according to Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated chances are good that eventually he'll be back on the roster and maybe back for spring practice so we'll see if the 6'5 300 pound Rubio when we get him back here in South Bend and whatever the personal matter is we wish him well hope everything goes well for him so that's the Notre Dame football news of the day J.D. Bertrand did get a nice honor today the Irish linebacker named a first team academic All-American Bertrand collected 76 tackles for the Irish and had a couple of grade point averages around 3.6 3.7 which helped him gain this award up next for Bertrand He gets an opportunity to shine in the best all-star classic for college players, the Senior Bowl down in Alabama. You've got a week worth of workouts leading up to the game being played on February the 3rd. So those are some Notre Dame football news and notes on this Tuesday. We'll take a timeout. Sports wagering conversation is on the way on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, Sports Radio 960 WSBT South Bend. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 